Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today we are going to be looking at our texts for this coming Sunday. This is our Preparing for Sunday segment here uh, in substitution for what we normally do on Sunday mornings for adult Bible study. We look at the propers for the day. We are on the historic one-year lectionary, and this coming Sunday will be Rogate Sunday, May 17th, 2020. Rogate uh, in the Latin means to ask or to pray. And uh, we're going to see those kind of themes playing out here in uh, our texts for today. And before we begin, let's begin with the collect for the day for this coming Sunday, Rogate Sunday. So let us pray. O God, the giver of all that is good, by your holy inspiration grant that we may think those things that are right and by your merciful guiding accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So for this Sunday, we are um, focusing on rogate. This has been the text, this has been the word that's been associated with this Sunday. It's the Sunday that comes before Ascension. Ascension is actually this coming Thursday. Um, there's not a lot of churches that actually um, worship on Ascension proper on Thursday. Um, they usually move it to the next Sunday after. But, you know, Sometimes there are churches who do do that, where they have a special ascension service on that Thursday. Um, we might do that in the future. We might not. I don't know. We'll see. But um, for this Sunday, we are actually looking forward to that uh, day of ascension. And there's a lot of things here that are within the text in terms of um, rogate, this understanding of praying, of asking God for certain things. And we see it within the collect right off the bat. Um, this very basic, it's, it's a basic, but very good prayer that we should pray at all times, right? It's, um, O God, the giver of all that is good. This is our petition. We address God as who he is to us, right? He is the giver of all that is good. By your holy inspiration, grant that we may think those things that are right and by your merciful guiding, accomplish them. So there's this understanding within the collect itself, right off the bat, that there is, we are appealing to God, we are praying to God in faith, that he is the giver of all that is good, including our faith. Sometimes we get too caught up in the things that God gives us in terms of um, material wealth, our daily bread, things like that, and we can easily overlook the good, the good gift that he gives even in the faith that we are given by the Holy Spirit, the faith to believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. So we ask him by his holy inspiration, and that by itself is the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know, inspiration, spirit, Holy Spirit, right? His holy inspiration. Grant that we may think those things that are right and by your merciful guiding accomplish them. So we may begin by thinking, and instead of just staying in our thought, we actually are driven, are 
compelled are, <laughs> um, I guess you could say, enlivened to do the things that God would have us do, right? That we may think of those things and not just think of them, but do them as well. We're going to see this play out a little bit more as we go on here. And if you've been listening on the last couple of weeks, we know that the word, the Latin word in the new, in, in the, um, in the historic one-year lectionary uh, usually comes from the first word of the introit that is spoken or sung. Um, uh, it usually comes from the first word of that, and that typically sets the tone for the day. But this word, actually, rogate, is not the Latin um, is not the Latin word that begins the introit. Um, but it does encompass what is being uh, put forward in these texts, specifically in our gospel texts. So how about we will start with uh, John 16. This is our gospel for this Sunday. And this is what um, all the other texts, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms, all everything, re- everything revolves around this text in John 16. So we're going to look at John 16, verses 23 through 33. And I'll read those real quick, and we'll 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 make our way through them as quickly as possible. I'll try and make this a fairly um, digestible in terms of time um, length podcast episode, but we'll see where we go. So here's John chapter sixteen, verses twenty three through thirty three. Jesus said, "In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you." Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that you will ask, And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. So when we look at this gospel text, we can understand why we are having this, why the theme for the day uh, is rogate, to ask, to pray, right? To, uh, 
uh, request. Um, I, I think that's a little bit liberal of me. To, I'm, I'm, I'm being liberal with the uh, def definition, but I'm just trying to be synonymous as possible here in terms of rogate as far as asking, praying, right? Beseeching, that sort of thing. We see this because this whole gospel text is about prayer. This whole gospel text is about praying in the name of Jesus. And he is saying, in, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So what is this context that he's talking about here at verse 23? In that day you will ask nothing of me. Well, um, these last few weeks we've been in John chapter 16 um, since, uh, let me see here, since, um, this is the third week we've been in John chapter 16, We've and we've bounced around a little bit. The first Sunday was a, uh, well, actually, we, let me see here. Yeah, we, we went from John 16, verses 16 through 22, and then verses 5 through 15, and now we're up to 23 through 33. So we're kind of bouncing around the chapter a little bit these last couple weeks, um, but, but for good reason. So we are looking at here, um, what is going on here in cha John chapter 16? John chapter 16 is where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples on the night that he is to be betrayed. Right? He's speaking to them, um, and he's teaching them, and he's, and he's having this conversation, this dialogue with them. Really, he's, he's just talking, and he's, he's, he's teaching them. And a lot of the things he's, he's teaching about, well, we're looking at here the context of verse 23, where he says, in that day. Now, in that day, this is coming right after... Um, this is coming right after Jesus says in verse 22, so also you will ha you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Where he's speaking to his disciples and saying, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because, she, because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So we see here that Jesus is speaking about his hour of death, right? He's speaking about the day when he will be delivered, sentenced, crucified, and killed for our sins. He will, he will die as the sacrifice, the pure, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And on that day, he's saying that until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive and that, that your joy may be full. He's obviously talking about prayer here. Um, and he says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, the hour, that's a very significant uh, word in the Gospel of John. And, and if you do just a quick cursory search, even in the back of your, uh, even in the back of your Bibles, if you have the... Um, the index at the back of your Bible. I have the Lutheran Study Bible, and I just took a quick look at the index because I know that that word hour is very significant. If you look at the word hour, it comes up a fair amount in John's Gospel. 
And where it comes up is where Jesus, you know, at the first time is at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, where Mary comes to him and tells the tells him that they have no more wine. And Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. And what hour is that? Well, there's other parts where he's saying the hour is coming and is already here for an hour is coming, you know, and, and that there is this hour when he will be glorified is what he's talking about here. That the hour is coming um, when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father, and that the hour that he speaks of is his crucifixion. Right? The hour is the hour is coming when the full glory of God will be shown in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his blood poured out on the cross. That in that hour. He will no longer speak to us in figures of speech, but he will tell us plainly about the Father. In that way, he will tell us plainly about the Father's love that he has for us in sending his Son to die for us, to forgive us all of our sins by his blood shed on the cross. And he says, In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that, you, that, that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And, you know, he says, he says these things, you have loved me, but the Father loves us because of what Christ has done for us, that he has made us his dear children. And as it says in the small catechism, as, as dear children ask their dear father, right? We should say, our father who art in heaven. That in the blood shed by Christ on the cross, that is what makes us clean of our sin. Those who believe that that blood was shed for them, those who have been given the faith by the Holy Spirit to believe this wonderful gift are the ones who will receive the benefits of being the children of God. And this is looking forward to ascension. I said this before, where he says um, that, uh, let me see here. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Because what's coming soon for us in the church here and for us to remember especially is that the ascension is coming and, and what makes ascension so special, which I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be touching on more here uh, next week for, 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 for preparing for next Sunday as well, that the ascension is so special because Jesus Christ now sits at the right hand of God the Father. He sits at the place of power for us, flesh and blood. He, he ascended not just spiritually, but bodily, that he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven the fullness of Christ being incarnated, made flesh, that flesh and blood now sits on the throne and intercedes for us on, be on, on behalf of us before the Father. That the hour is coming, he's saying that the hour has come for us to understand, to, to know that he sits at the right hand of the Father, having shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And all this stuff brings up the issue of prayer, right? And, and I kind of pushed it off a second ago, but I, I think it's worth getting into it. He says, you know, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, that is to be sure that 
saying Jesus's name isn't just a magical spell, like a magical incantation, like like a prayer of Jabez or something like that. Where as long as you say it in Jesus' name, you know it it's it's um, it's totally valid, or or it it is something that God has to honor. Um, certainly, we pray in Jesus's name because we have been given his name in holy baptism and we pray according to his will. And the best way we can do that is saying the Lord's Prayer or at least following the structure of the Lord's Prayer, understanding that it is the perfect prayer, saying that we are asking for God's name to be hallowed, that his will be done, you know, that... um, that he would give us our daily bread, that, that he would give us everything that would sustain us in our body and our life, and that he would lead us not into temptation, but keep us from all these tempting things of Satan and protect us from them to guide us into his truth and all these things. So when we pray in his name, we pray according to his will. Uh, we pray as dear children pray to their dear father because of what Christ has done in making us the children of God the Father, right, as co-heirs of Christ, that uh, we certainly don't ask for God to damn somebody, okay, Um, and I don't use that term lightly, that we don't ask that God would condemn our brother because he's just a horrible person or to condemn our friend because they don't deserve uh, the, the, the love of God, you know, but we we pray that God would call them to repentance, right? God's not going to condemn someone just because we say, in Jesus' name. But we pray that God would have mercy on them, that he would rebuke them, that he would call them to repentance and to faith, because God desires that for every person, right? He does not... Um, he does. He he um, he wishes that all men would repent and would come to the knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So, and there's also, but there is this understanding that we should be bold in our prayers. That we should pray for what we want. That we should pray for um, good weather. That we should pray for all the good things that could possibly come in our life. And we also know that when we beseech God, when we pray to him, especially in the name of Jesus, we aren't just trying to craft some perfect prayer. I mean, Jesus already did that in the Lord's Prayer. We are trying to um, pray according to his will, but we shouldn't be so rigid in that we don't think we should pray for certain things, that we should have a strong enough faith not to need to pray for um, strength or patience or things like that. Go ahead and pray for those things. That is what God desires to hear. He desires to hear his children praying to him and asking him for these things. And he says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full, knowing that true joy comes from the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ, that because we have been redeemed and because we have been given this great promise and it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, we can come to God our Father and say, Lord, please give me patience for this 
for this sort of um, trouble that I'm having in my life. Or even just something as simple as saying, Lord, I ask that you would give me a faithful spouse, right? And that you would give me um, the blessing of children. Or that you would give me gainful employment so that I may take care of my family or something like that. And don't be afraid to pray for the smallest things like, you know, Lord, um, I pray that my acne would go away. <laughs> or, Lord, I pray that um, that you would help me, you know, gain f- gain physical strength and discipline or something like that. There's no harm in asking for those things. And sometimes, though, uh, just as, you know, Jesus says where um, that if a son asks his father for um, f- for something, the, f- the father's not going to give his son a snake, right? Uh, so, so yeah, if, if a son asks his father for a fish, the father's not going to give him a snake um, or a serpent. And likewise, if we pray for certain things like, Lord, give me this job, or Lord, uh, I pray that, that this certain woman would be attracted to me and someday marry me, if that's not what is good for you, then God is not going to give it to you, right? And, some, and, and, and so he may not give you that job. He may not give you that person to be your spouse, but he will, he will look out for you and he will give you what is good. Um, and so we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be ashamed to pray for even the smallest things. And we shouldn't also ask, we, we, we shouldn't also be afraid to ask our brothers and sisters to pray for us for the smallest thing as, as well. Um, you know, it doesn't mean we have to be on a prayer list or anything like that. Just say, Hey, can you pray for me? Because I'm struggling with this certain sort of uh, problem or, you know, can you pray for me because uh, this is really troubling me? You know, it's very simple, very straightforward. And I'm, I'm not putting this forward as a master of prayer. I'm still a, uh, a fairly uh, <laughs> novice pastor, and my prayer life could be, a, you know, my, my game and my prayer life could be uh, definitely improved. Uh, I am no master at prayer. Uh, I I pray to God that someday I will be, but that requires my diligent prayer, right? To actually pray, to actually take my petitions to God in prayer and faithfully trust that he will hear me because I am his child, not because of my own merit, not because of my own worth, but because of the worth and the merit that have been won for me in the name of Christ, and that have been placed on me in my holy ba- in in holy baptism, for when that name was was given to me, to make me a child of God. So we see all these things here about prayer, and I want to make this note in the ESV, uh, verse thirty three in John chapter sixteen. It says uh, they made the translation in the world you will have tribulation, uh, but the thing is is that I I'm not too sure why they made that a future saying you will have tribulation because uh, that that verb is you know it's actually mean it's present tense and I don't I don't know I, I need to look for, further into the grammar but it's kind of interesting because I, I actually prefer it to be just a strict present tense saying in the world you have tribulation that 
there's tribulation all around us. There's, especially with this pandemic. I mean, but if we didn't have this pandemic, you'd still have bills to pay. You'd still have uh, that person you don't really like, or you'd still have a lot of other problems going on in your world, uh, in your life, a lot of struggles, a lot of tribulation because of the sin that is in this world and, and the, the struggles of the flesh that go along with it. That tribulation is just there. It's a part of this life that is our reality on this side of Christ's return in glory. But we see here that Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in Jesus Christ, we know that we are more than conquerors because we have been given the victory in Christ. And Jesus says, take heart in the face of all these trials and tribulations, I have overcome the world. And this is something that we should always come back to as Christians, that what is the worst thing that could happen to us in our tribulation? The worst thing that could possibly happen to us is that we would die. And yet, in the face of death, we have life. And that is a great comfort to have. I'll never stop saying that as long as I live, as long as I'm a pastor, I'm going to keep telling people that because what is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you in your life right now? You could die. Yeah. And then what? You will live forever in Christ. Um, so I'll, I'll keep that there. Let's, let's go on to our Old Testament text. I mean, there's a lot more in our gospel text, but I'll save that for the sermon for tomorrow. Uh, let's let's go to the uh, Old Testament text for this coming Sunday, which is from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. It's short enough. I'll just read it out for you. So, from Mount Hor, they sent out, they set out by the way to the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up? Out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we see here in Numbers chapter 21 that it's one of the many times where the people of Israel are grumbling against God and against Moses for their their trial and for their tribulation and having to wander and wander through the wilderness, right? The people spoke against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Now, what worthless food were they talking about? The worthless food of the manna. I mean, the very bread from heaven that God was feeding his people so that they wouldn't have to worry about where their literal daily bread would come from because God was supplying it, and they call this worthless food. So then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and 
we don't really know what this means as far as what the fiery serpents, whether they were a certain color that made them look like fire or whether when they bit you it felt like fire or something like that. But we know that they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And then they come to Moses and they say, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he, that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses intercedes for the people. And this is a nice, this is, this is a way of understanding um, intercessory prayer, that we should always be praying for other people, especially those who have blasphemed against God, those who, are, those who do not believe, those who believe falsely, something like that, those who are in error, that we would ask God to spare them. But the ultimate thing that's going to happen here is that, you know, God says to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent. That's him kind of understanding what God is saying here. You know, maybe the, because the bronze looks more like fire. <laughs> so he makes a bronze serpent and sets it on a pole. And when you see this depicted in ancient artwork, this is it's bringing out the understanding that this is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, that the serpent is set on a pole in these uh, classical depictions of this story. The pole is a pole that has a... Um, vertical beam and then a horizontal cross beam at, t at the top making it look like a T and the serpent is draped on it. And if that doesn't look like a cross, I don't know what does, you know, uh, and, and also how else are you going to put a serpent onto a pole? Um, so the thing is, is that Moses puts this serpent on a pole and we understand here that anyone who looks at the serpent who has been bitten, they will live. And they did. And we see here that this is not just a nice little story, but this is all. This is for sure foreshadowing what would happen with Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, because even Jesus brings this up in John chapter 3 when he's speaking to Nicodemus. He says uh, in, verse, in, in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, Jesus says to Nicodemus, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That this is not just a nice story, but it is foreshadowing the crucifixion of Christ. That in that crucifixion, in the Son of Man being lifted up on the cross, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, that whoever looks to Christ and his cross will be saved. Um, and this is a nice, <laughs> a nice dig, I guess you could say, at the iconoclasts that are in Christianity who say, you know, well, the scripture says you shall make no graven images. Well, um, Moses made a graven image. But the important point is, is that he didn't worship that image. The point is, and we understand this as Lutherans, um, we retain the um, historical numbering of the of the Ten Commandments. You know, there there are other there are certain Protestant groups that will say that the first commandment is, "You shall have no other gods before me," uh, and that the second commandment is. Um, 
you shall not make any graven images, right? But we would say, no, the graven images is lumped into the first commandment. It's lumped into you shall have no other gods because while to, because to make a graven image means to worship that thing according to the way that God was putting it. So this isn't this isn't that we should we shouldn't have artwork and this isn't that we shouldn't have depictions of Jesus Christ crucified. Uh, we're not worshiping the crucifix because it is it is our God in in as much as you know we are Baal worshippers or um, um, worshippers of Asherah or some sort of ancient pagan god. But it is a sign. It is it is pointing to where our salvation lies. It is causing us to remember where our salvation is found in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, made flesh for us. You know, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what a crucifix does for us. It points us to our Savior. And as we say. Or I've, as as I've heard people say, we like our tombs empty and our crosses full, right? We want to see the body of Christ on that cross is to show us where our salvation can be found, right? So we'll keep that there, um, and we will go on to our epistle text because we're running out of time here. I kind of want to keep this under forty minutes if I can, maximum, but. For our epistle text, we have James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. And I'll read that for you because it's also pretty short here. Excuse me. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we see here that James... uh, I love that we have this. As Lutherans, we get a bad rap for uh, Luther and his comments on the book of James, that it's an, that it's, it's an epistle of straw, that there's nothing really there to hang your hat on. But there's really a lot here. Um, James is doing the hard, the heavy lifting, really, of talking about what it means to be a Christian, that um, walking the fine line of saying that we as Christians should not be deceived in just saying, oh, well, I've heard the word of God and that's good enough for me, right? That um, I've, I've heard the word of God and uh, I don't really need to do anything about it, right? Uh, but, you know, or someone saying, I believe, but if your life doesn't reflect your belief, if you don't confess only, if you don't confess with your body and your entire being, 
what you believe, but you only pay it lip service, as it were, then who is that helping exactly? Who is that really benefiting? It's really not benefiting you because, as James also says, that even the demons believe and they shudder, right? Believing in itself or just saying that there is a God is not enough. But and, and, and even to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to say that he is my Lord and Savior, I mean, if that doesn't translate into some kind of fruit that comes from that, um, you know, this, this spontaneous, joyful action that comes from the pure goodness of the gospel, you know, it's, it's you got to start to say, well, your fruit is bad, you know, and I know, I know that we can't be constantly checking our fruit here. You know, that's, that's kind of what uh, certain Christians do. They say, check your fruit and that's how you know you're saved. No, you know that you're saved because you believe in Jesus Christ. Yet at the same time, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you continue to lie, cheat, and steal, that is not a good confession that you actually mean what you say, right? That's what I mean by that. And that's what James means by that. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That here, when we, when we hear the word of God, when we are confronted with our sinful nature, when we are burdened by our sin and we understand that burden to be sin because of what the law tells us that we have broken God's law uh, in thought word or deed right and that or by what we have done or what we have left undone right that when we understand this how can we just go on and say oh well no big deal or how can we say to someone else you know, you've sinned against me, but hey, you know what? Everyone does it. It's no big deal. Instead, we should be asking for forgiveness or we should calling someone to repentance and saying, you have sinned against me. And not only that, you've sinned against God and you need to be forgiven, right? Because God doesn't want you to stay in your sin. God doesn't want you to continue on in your life of sin, whether that be uh, something as seemingly mundane as uh, gossiping or as uh, white lies or as, um, you know, uh, <laughs> as, you know, drinking too much and getting a little lewd and, you know, having making suggestive comments or uh, engaging in uh, conversation that we really shouldn't be engaging with, um, you know, being uncharitable to people, or even something as serious as, uh, you know, stealing uh, or committing adultery. Uh, and I know that nowadays a lot of people think that pornography is not a, eh, it's not a big deal. Well, actually, yeah, it is. It's a big deal. Um, you are poisoning your mind in a way that uh, is really detrimental not only to your mental health and your spiritual health, but also your physical health as well. 
uh, in more ways than one. We're not going to get into that, but if you continue to hear God's word and you don't you don't at least acknowledge that those things are wrong and at least by God's help begin to repent by turning away from those, then there is a question as to whether or not you're merely a hearer or a doer. And where do you start in terms of being a doer? Well, this is Rogate Sunday, and it is beginning with prayer. You come to God in prayer, and that is one of those things that is good to pray in the name of Christ, to say, Lord, I don't want to be someone who has an unbridled tongue. I don't want to be someone who just, you know, cusses at the drop of a hat. I don't want to be someone who is uncharitable to other people. I don't I don't want to be someone who who, you know, whenever he's whenever he is uh, bored or something like that, looks up some pornography just to pass the time. I don't want to be that person, God. Help me to not be that person. Forgive me, first of all, for this sin, for this grave sin that, if left unchecked, could lead me farther apart from you. But as your dear child, I don't want to do these things anymore, right? That is the beginning of it all, to pray to God in the name of Jesus so that your joy may be full because your joy is in the fact that you have been forgiven of that sin. Pray to God and ask for his forgiveness for those things, and he will grant it to you by the blood of Christ. So that's just some cursory looks. That's just a cursory look at these texts. I'm, I'm a little over time, but hey, you know what? Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot here. And there's probably going to be more. And there's more than more than enough in these texts because God's word is never is is never devoid. Uh, you know, you can never get to the bottom of it all. There's always something more. And so that's that's what we're going to be trying to do here. Uh, in the you know, continuing on here each week, we'll do this prepping for Sunday, um, looking at these texts and being on the one year, we have a blessing because we're going to get these texts again next year. And you know what? There may be something out there that will cause us to look at these texts a little bit differently. So we'll look forward to that. We'll look forward to um, this coming ascension. But uh, for now, I will leave you with that. Uh, I pray that this has been a blessing to you. See how I did that? I prayed. <laughs> I pray that this will be a blessing to you in your preparation for worship. Um, God's blessings to you, and we'll see you next time.